From beach towels to tea towels and from mugs to water bottles, the TNT Shop has it all. Browse our shop now at tntradio.live. Talk that matters. Germ Warfare and Jeremy Nell on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Got a few gremlins in the system, but hopefully it'll be sorted out momentarily. Germ Warfare at tntradio.live. That's my email address. Thank you to everybody who does send me emails. I particularly enjoy the sort of geo, the geolocation aspects of the emails, uh, hearing from where in the world uh, you are listening, reading actually, not hearing, reading from where in the world you are listening from. Uh, it's, uh, it's really great to, to know how far my show uh, stretches. If you are watching, it's a great pleasure to have you here also. Uh, TNT's website has got all the links. I think X, Rumble, YouTube, all the usual suspects uh, are where you can find the video streams. Of course, you can listen to my show after the fact. Just go to my, my page on TNT's website and uh, all the audio and video downloads are available. Okay, jump into the live chat. Don't forget to say hi on that note. My name is Germ. This is Germ Warfare, the Battle of Ideas. It's the stuff. What citizen wouldn't want to make American great again? People are talking about. Vilifying MAGO if it's not going to work. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Been wanting to say welcome to the trenches, Ivor Cummins, for such a long time. So thank you for joining me in the trenches. Oh, thanks so much, Jeremy. It's great to be here, of course. I want to start off by telling you that I just finished uh, a very freshly made cup of coffee. I don't drink instant coffee and I had cream in it. <laughs> very good. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't have I any... do that. I do, I do OMAD, yes. O-M-A-D, one meal a day. And the only mm. thing I have besides that most days is coffee with some Irish double cream. So technically Oof. that's calories, but, but that it's very little really. I want to stay on that just for a moment because I know that you are quite are quite well versed on sort of diet and health, and it's one of my favorite topics. Uh, it's a great way actually to fight all this nonsense that's going on. I mean, nowhere were we told by any medical experts in the over the last four years to actually you know think about diet, you know, go into the sunshine. All the things that we were told when we were young, you know, by our grandparents. They just completely avoided and skipped. So one of the things that I love talking about is exactly that is health and, and diet. And uh, you're a big fan of very low carbohydrate, sort of low sugar lifestyle, right? Yeah, oh, absolutely. I published a book with Dr. Jeffrey Gerber, Denver's diet doctor in the US back in 17 or 18, eat rich, live long. And that basically compiled all of our knowledge. So it's it's a real manual for the whole space. Okay, so the rule of thumb is just avoid sugar and eat lots of meat. Not a bad summary. My really short <laughs> summary for lay people is um, I just say, just just think of one concept, the devil's triad. And I coined this many years ago. The devil's triad is sugars, everyone knows what they are, refined grains or refined carbohydrates, right, which are in all processed foods in large amounts, and seed oils or what they call vegetable oils. They're extracted from seeds in chemical plants, basically. They're nothing to do with vegetables. So if you take those three things, the devil's triad, 
that's largely what's driven the modern epidemic of obesity and chronic disease, type 2 diabetes, uh, Alzheimer's, type 3 diabetes, it's often called now, uh, and all of them. So it's not the total cause, but it, the devil's triad is largely how uh, what happened befell us. And then people think, okay, I stopped those three things, but the extra little nuance is that most ultra-processed food is packed with the devil's triad. So you can't just individually, you know, throw out the vegetable oil, not eat refined grains or breads, and not eat sugar or drink Coca-Cola. Uh, that's good, but you got to read the labels because 80% mm -hmm. of the supermarket now is pretty much ultra-processed food. Read the labels, packed with the devil's triad. So yeah, if you can something get rid I of that, told... you're left with meat. <laughs> something I was told a few years ago by um, a friend of mine, his name is Tim Noakes. I don't know if you if you know him. Oh, and, yeah, uh, great man. Yeah, he, he influenced me significantly. And uh, he said to me, basically, if, if you see something that has a lot of ingredients, avoid it. That, that's a great rule of thumb, no question. Uh, similar to what I said, the ingredients mm -hmm. are the key. So another simple way of putting it is if you eat, as you mentioned, our ancestors, uh, meat and two veg, the British phrase, that's a, that's a great diet, meat and vegetables, you know, naturally yeah. grown, ideally. Um, and if you ate meat and veg, like our ancestors' ancestors, uh, you, you'd be pretty much in the clear. Yeah, I mean, you know what's interesting? So over this past weekend, my wife and I went to a music festival uh, we went uh, camping at just out our outside of Cape Town in the countryside. It was fantastic. Thousands of people, really great vibe, great atmosphere. But my wife said something to me. She said, I don't think I've ever seen this many fat people. And it struck home. People are getting fatter. And not only today are we, you know, uh, the establishment and media and, and the governments and all the, all the, the wrong people are celebrating this, right? Fat is, fat is beautiful and all this nonsense. But people are becoming unhealthy as a, as a result. Being fat is very bad for you. Absolutely. And you see, the problem is everything's kind of joined up. So a lot of people nowadays, they know everything in the world has kind of gone crazy with the trans and the fat is mm -hmm. beautiful and every and the whole covid nonsense everything suddenly in the last few years kind of gone crazy but it's all interconnected really in in a kind of simple way that they're the globalist uh, goal is for a managed society a bit like an ant farm and the sicker they are the fatter they are uh, the more qr coded they are the more medicated and vaccinated they are i could go on all day the better so the reason that all these crazy things are happening is they're all to do with societal weakening, you know, and that's what joins them together. And if you actually watch for it, you'll see it everywhere. Everything that comes up in the media that seems a bit nonsensical, not common sense, and it seems to be undermining society. Well, it is, you know, because there is unfortunately a kind of a master plan. There's no guy with a white cat. There's the WEF, there's the UN, there's the Rockefeller Foundation and Brothers Fund, Club of Rome. You could go on all day and they're all mm. in it together and they all have a beautiful vision of a managed world in the West. And that's why, you know, everything's kind of joined up now. But it does seem 
irreversible. I mean, it's like a stone now that seems to be rolling down a hill gathering moss. Is that the right analogy? Uh, a snowball, rather. Mm. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> there's a lot of moss. I mean, especially since 2020. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, moss are us. But yeah, it's crazy, but it has picked up enormous pace because the whole viral uh, madness was a major mm. kind of checkpoint or turning point because once that was unleashed and all the bad guys jumped in and exploited it it kind of gave everyone license to propel forward this globalist vision and agenda 2030 and all of the you know diversity equality inclusion kind of stupid stuff it all triggered and that's why we're inundated with this stuff it does seem overpowering however i would say and i always say to people we are on the razor's edge. We're hurtling towards a certain future and we don't know what it is. They, if you can say they, are trying to cut us off from the past, from broad awareness of what we're talking about, which will completely scupper all the plants. It'll make a complete mess for them. And we're racing to have more people aware uh, to achieve that end and to completely thwart them. But for me, it's all to play for. I, that's the way I view it. It's, it's quite balanced at the moment, and they are very concerned, and we see the censorship, the hate speech laws in Ireland and elsewhere. We see the WHO in a bit of a panic attack about their new pandemic treaty and world health regulations, you know, screeching about misinformation and far right and all this rubbish. So we're seeing this pitched battle now. They own the media. They own countless politicians. They have huge advantages. But, you know, the people over history, when they arose and became aware they were being gamed, that's a major force also. So all to play for. Yeah, but are you suggesting that it's a constant yo-yo in that case? I, I think it'll come to a form of conclusion, uh, not that the people, the citizens will, will win. I don't think it's possible to completely win and have all of these bad guys put in jail. Uh, but, I, you know, I, I think it will get to a new kind of e equilibrium and very possibly that could be a reasonable kind of scenario that the globalists are pushed back into their into their dens uh, and they're still attacking, but, but they have less kind of power and there's more awareness. So I think it could be a compromise. It's hard to see a complete win. And it's also luckily hard to see a complete win for them. Because the stuff they're mm. pushing now is so insane. I just think it's it's going to get harder and harder for them. Imagine they pulled a pandemic now. They did a mm. once in the century pandemic, which was a bad flu, effectively. And they pulled it off because everyone got a surprise. Everyone thought, oh, granny's dying and all the propaganda. And it worked. It worked very well. Uh, but imagine they tried to pull a similar thing now. There's no way it would work. So there, there are some things in our favor. Yeah, but what they will most likely do then is pull the climate change card and go and go for that angle. Yeah, I said this in 2020. I, I sensed the rumblings and I said they're going to mm -hmm. do a switch when COVID runs out of steam and all the propaganda doesn't really work anymore. Now, they did a switch to Ukraine for a while. I didn't see that coming because that was quite novel. Uh, but then they rolled around <laughs> to China. That, that's the novel virus. <laughs> yeah. So it was COVID, uh, 
they also had a go at monkeypox and everyone laughed it away and they backed mm. off and pulled in their claws because they realized this ain't going to wash, uh, which was a great sign to see. They pulled Ukraine, you know, that was a great distraction uh, for a period. But climate is the rolling drumbeat. But that one ain't working amazingly because there's so many skeptics. It's hard to censor. Like, you know, we had massive censorship in YouTube and, and LinkedIn, especially, and all over the place on COVID. But they had an excuse for all their middle managers in their media organizations. Well, we need to save granny. Medical misinformation kills. So they had an excuse. But it's harder to have an excuse for climate if someone's simply debating the science. So they are censoring on LinkedIn now, climate especially, and WEF and UN talk, they are censoring. But it's not as effective as with COVID. I think COVID was their finest hour in a way. Mm. Uh, well, it's interesting you say that uh, because something that a lot of people always miss, uh, not people like you and I, but just I would say, I hate using this term, but you know, the normies. Um, in conversation over the last few years, they completely missed the point that if there really was this tragedy, this catastrophe, this deadly zombie virus, right, there would be no need for billboards and adverts on radio stations and constant messaging coming through the airport. You know, I mean, I, we all remember it. It was the same everywhere. It doesn't matter which country you were in, it was the same messaging. And somehow this just escapes them. Like, do you really need to, to if, you, if you're sitting in the Rwandan genocide, do you need a billboard up on the side of the, of the highway saying there's mass murder happening? <laughs> it, it seems so obvious. And that's what drove me crazy, to be honest, Jeremy, over the COVID period. Every day I have to pinch myself with astonishment at the audacity of it, as you describe, and with astonishment that people couldn't see it. I mean, I had a doctor friend and he had two friends that he converted somewhat to realizing COVID was nonsense. One of them was a doctor and one of them was a super smart kind of entrepreneur. And he made the point to me in September 2020, he said, Ivor, I spent 30 or 40 minutes with each of these guys. I know them for 30 years. They know I'm a top end doctor, right? They respect me. Everything's in my favor. And it took 30 minutes pointing out the obvious for them to begin to go, yeah, I suppose you got a point. And I think it comes back to mass formation, the phenomenon that if you inject a kind of compelling narrative into a population and you maintain it for weeks around the clock like they did, and safety's involved, and you achieve a mass formation psychosis in the population, it becomes like a steamroller. Yeah. And, and, and that's what happened. People were almost literally hypnotized over those weeks of propaganda to the point where they couldn't even see the obvious, like, like you just said. Mm, actually, I'm glad that you brought that up because I was just about to ask you, how is it possible that so many people just fell into this trap? Uh, I think you obviously are referring to Matthias Desmet because he, he, he kind of brought out that mass formation um, uh, phrasing. By the way, the word psychosis was added by uh, Malone, I think you know, and of course there was a little bit of a spat yeah. between them. So, uh, and I, I had the pleasure of having, I don't know if you've met Matthias, but I had lunch with him in Holland a few months ago. And uh, I, I actually asked him, I said, do you think that we'll ever get past this 25, 30% uh, 
uh, shall we say, awake awake percentage? Because he he argues around about one third of people will will remain awake, while you you, you have that 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 thirty percent on the other side that will always be asleep, and then there's, there's that big section in the middle that you can kind of nudge into the right direction. And he said it can happen, but it's not likely uh, because you need to you need to be able to counter the propaganda. But he says like a mind virus it you you can get that 30 percent into a majority what do, what do you think yeah i think no absolutely and i, I interviewed him and i think it, it was one of the better interviews if i say so myself uh, and i did it on zoom and i used some graphics which i inserted to even more powerfully get across the the kind of conditions for mass formation as he spoke uh, and I met him in person then in Dublin on his book tour, and I met him again at a couple of um, kind of demonstration events or conferences. He, he's a fantastic guy, and he took a lot of abuse for simply pointing out reality. But yeah, I think it might not have to be 30%. One of his central kind of tenets or thesis is that if you can even get a, a substantial minority to speak up, you kind of break the wave function or collapse it, you kind of disturb the mass hypnosis and you stop it descending into complete insanity like Soviet Russia or socialist Germany. Um, but ideally, those people who stand up and speak up, they stop it spiraling into total madness, which they kind of did in COVID. And then if they can continue to grow, I mean, I, I think 20 or 30 percent is in short. I think it's possible I, if you had a truth drug now and you went to a random sample in, in a Western city and put a truth drug into a load of people and honestly got their opinion truthfully on COVID, etc. I think you might be surprised and many people say, yeah, it was kind of bullshit. But but a lot <laughs> of them won't admit it, you know, because they've got all this pride so a yeah. they know our biggest fear is of death existential our second biggest fear many would maintain is the fear of societal rejection so it's just second to death and severe injury and people know that society went with covid and that if you don't go with the covid nonsense you're a right winger or an anti-vaxxer or all these bad society rejecting things so that's one reason people won't admit it was nonsense and the other reason is just pride there's a lot of pride yeah. there so that's our current problem is so many people i talk to they're in denial but i know subconsciously they know it was nonsense but they don't want to talk about it yeah. they don't want to go back there that's the problem Ava Cummins, I'll be back with you shortly. My name is Jim. This is TNT. TNT's Mark Morano. This just in. We have a new way that's proven effective in dealing with climate protesters who deign to block highways, streets, and other public areas. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this appears to be the most effective way. We have a, uh, we have a field shot, a correspondent on the scene. Let's go to clip four and take a look at how to deal with climate protesters when they block your way on your morning commute. I don't want to see protests shut down, but obviously when you're blocking traffic and you're doing that, you need to be dealt with. 
I thought this was a great vigilante way of dealing with it. Mark Morano on today's News Talk TNT. I didn't ask to be thrown in the streets with nowhere to go. I didn't think I'd survive. But I did ask for help, and Covenant House was there for me. One in 10 young adults will experience a form of homelessness this year. For these kids who didn't ask to be put in this unthinkable situation, Covenant House is there. Covenant House helped me break the cycle of homelessness in my family. They gave me the love that I needed. Over 2,000 young people will sleep safely in a Covenant House bed tonight. When youth who are experiencing homelessness have a hot meal, a safe place to sleep, medical care, and love, they can overcome heartbreaking challenges and have a brighter future. They just really genuinely just wanted to help me succeed, and I'm succeeding. I'm a, I'm a speaker, I'm an author. Covenant House really helped me and really helped mold me into the woman I am today. If you or someone you love is asking for help, go to safeplacetosleep.org today. Ladies and gentlemen, today's News Talk. News and information. TNT Radio. Uh, some comments here. Uh, Catherine says, if the populace gets wise to the gaming uh, they try on them, it simply won't succeed. And that's the point that you were making, Ivor, that, that a silver lining or a blessing in disguise of the COVID era is that people have suddenly become a lot more suspicious and skeptical of um, what the authorities are telling them. Yeah, and I mean, in fairness, it was a, a corporate strategy, COVID, and it was a double-edged sword. And I'm sure they knew that, that they get huge gains. I think the big prize they wanted was universal vaccination and universal vaccine passports. And they didn't actually achieve that, which was super. I mean, we're back to Desmond's people who refused, saved the day. But, but they got a lot of infrastructure in place. But they also would have predicted, and it happened in a pretty big way, that there'll be a backfiring of some sort when people realized they were totally gamed. And that was pretty big. I think during COVID, I was kind of thinking, oh my God, like we, we are we are hosed the way that the normies are running with this. But later on, I realized actually the awakening was maybe bigger than we could have hoped for. So I think it's a very positive thing. Uh, I think we're doing pretty well on that vector, but we do need more. And that's why, I mean, shows like this, and that's why I still talk about lockdowns and data about lockdowns being nonsense, because people say that's that's kind of out of date now. And that's true, but we need to keep reminding people of how have you insane seen, it was. Have you seen, either what's been happening now on social media? And I don't know if this is by design. I suspect it is by design. But there are accounts coming out now saying that there were no lockdowns, there were no vaccine mandates. It's almost as if history is being, well, they're attempting to rewrite history right in front of our eyes. Yeah, absolutely, Jeremy. And, you know, in our movie, uh, covidchroniclesmovie.com, we got a big Kickstarter. We made a movie. But in the closing sequences, I said a couple of things. And, you know, it was direct to camera pretty much. And I said, there's a freight train of excess mortality coming down the track at us and nothing will stop it. And it'll last for years, not weeks like COVID, uh, based on the lack of cancer care, the lack of hospital support, the mass kind of psychological terrorizing of, of the people. And I went, I did a big list. And here we are. That's all clear as day. Now, some of it is the mRNA. I think it's a big mixture that's hard to tease apart. Uh, and the other thing I said is, 
they, there is going to be massive revisionism. Just what you said, you know, denial that X, Y, Z was done, but also there's going to be a misattribution. What they're going to do is they're going to attribute the freight trainer mortality, shockingly, outrageously. They're going to try and point that to long-term effects of COVID or other complete nonsense. Climate change. Uh, we saw quite a bit of that, but we didn't see as much as I thought. They've taken a strategy, which is probably the best one, Rather than jump into this excess mortality fight, which is unwinnable, perhaps, they've taken the strategy, just keep it off the media. Just just don't discuss it. And that's largely what they did instead of trying to attribute it to long term COVID or some other rubbish. Yeah, but there's an interesting meta talking point that's happening right there, because that feeds right into the idea of uh, censorship and, and propaganda and uh, manipulating what people are saying. Censorship has been a big part of the COVID era and it's now pretty bad. Yeah, I mean, I give an example of censorship. A few months ago, I got back on LinkedIn after a year and a half. Why was I knocked off LinkedIn? Well, they were nice enough to tell me why. I did a post one minute long video. I just did with my voice showing clips of Tony Blair, an ex prime minister. And I basically ripped rip the piss out of him, essentially, about all of his comments on how we needed mandates and all this kind of crazy stuff. That got me off LinkedIn for over a year. It wasn't even technically about granny or about the WHO. But I got back on and I noticed after a while, they're kind of letting people talk about vaccines now and lockdowns, even me. I did some pretty ripe posts. And I thought, hmm, we seem to be allowed talk now, maybe because that's a couple of years ago. And then I saw what they were taking down. I was getting posts taken down, getting warnings. You know what they're taking down now? Discussions about the WEF and the UN or a really? Rockefeller history. Yeah. So they're now censoring and climate. So they're now censoring climate and WEF talk because that's the current strategy. So that's what gets censored. And this morning, really funny, I just put a tweet out. This morning, I put out a short one minute video from the Irish Parliament. And it was simply one of the members of Parliament was pressuring our Prime Minister, our Taoiseach, about 800,000 spent in recent months on transporting pets for Ukrainian migrants. So it's a good story, right? Nearly a million euros spent on pets. and. The person was asking, there's nothing in our international agreements about spending a million euro on pets. And it was so I put that up, but I made the comment about, oh, my God, look what the WEF owned politicians uh, and globalist puppets are now trying to tell us. And it got 12 impressions and no reposts and four likes in the next few hours, which is completely crazy for, for my post on LinkedIn. So I had an idea. I deleted the post. I put the same video up and I said, oh, my God, look what they're they are trying to tell us now. And I took out WEF and globalist. Just just the two words. Within a few minutes, I had a thousand impressions and five or six reposts and it was off. Where was so this? They, they, on LinkedIn, they literally kill a post for having the word or acronym WEF in it and the word globalist. They're the only two words I removed and it's sword. That's how bad um, it is. 
what do you think um, that might look like on Twitter X? Well, on, on Twitter, I actually told this story and I put the clip, but Twitter, people are saying, oh, Twitter is organized opposition, Elon Musk. To be honest, I found Twitter to be incredibly uncontrolled and truly a free speech platform. That's my personal experience. I, you know, that's just the way I perceive Twitter. It's an oasis in a land of censorship. That's my cut on it. Well, by extension, then, what do you make of Elon? Elon, I think, has a lot of, you know, there's some bats in his belfry. I think he really is all excited about, like, implants and the future technology and going to the moon or Mars, which is a complete waste cause. of time. They're, they're dead, <laughs> or sorry, Mars. They're dead planets. They will never be habited. It's impossible. There's no such thing as terraforming. That's science fiction. So all of this nonsense about chips and, and about going to Mars is nonsense. But I think he kind of just digs that nonsense. Mm. I broadly think that he's legitimate. He truly does, regardless of how the world goes forward, he truly does want it to be done under a, a free speech model. So he may have things that are unappetizing to many people, but I think he truly is a problem for globalism simply for for having this weird idea that free speech should always be allowed i i have a love-hate relationship with him uh the the love part is because he's from my my little pond um but my hate relationship is is the weird kind of globalist infiltration that sometimes rears his head like he's uh he's ceo that's is that woman from the world economic forum i forget her name now um oh, what's her name oh that was you know bad. i'm talking about yeah. yeah i mean what was that about you know and um and also i mean mm. he's he, he he seems to buy into the idea that climate change is a thing you know um mm. and i don't know if that's because he owns tesla i can't figure out where he stands but i mean i think i think electric cars are pretty rubbish <laughs> yeah <laughs> That's a whole discussion in itself. It's it's just absurd. But yeah, you raised a good point there. I forgot about that one. He did tweet a week or two ago, some climate tweet, and I said, oh my God. Mm. I think it's, it's still possible that the bias with Tesla is part of it. And I still think it's possible he actually buys into the BS of climate because a lot of people do. Or... Or you could say he is compromised. I The jury's out for me. But on the electric cars, I mean... They're powered by gas and coal. I mean, the intermediate is electricity. Mostly it's not windmills and solar. There was a thing, a clip uh, last year in America, and they were unveiling outside a company a new charging station, and they had media and everything. It was so funny. And a guy went up with a microphone and asked the, the manager of the company, oh, where does the electricity come from? And the, the manager was, well, it comes from the building. like. In, under the ground in wires. And he said, oh, yeah, yeah, but where does that electricity come from? Like, who supplies it? And the manager said, oh, well, Western Electric Company. Oh, and how do they produce their electricity? And the manager says, well, I think they're mostly coal. <laughs> and it's just, that's it. <laughs> that's it. I'm still waiting. I'm still waiting for a, for a solar panel factory to be powered by solar panels. 
snake eating its own tail. Yeah, look, solar, the photovoltaic or uh, cells have become much better and they used to only have a few years life and they never paid themselves back with electricity. I believe, I'm not 100% sure, I believe they now have a reasonable payback and they're probably a good idea for, for homes, especially in rural areas with the right electrical interconnectivity and there's no harm in them, perhaps, mm. but the minerals they use and all and the mining and the child miners, that's a problem. Uh, but like the windmills, I've looked at various data from various sources. And when you look at the life cycle, of the windmill, the masses of concrete, the turbine blades that have to be buried, they're not recyclable. And it, all the oil that's used and the diesel generators that have to spin them up for safety. And you put it all together. I mean, the whole thing really is a bit of a sham. It's green dressing or green washing. And and. Literally millions of charlatans have jumped on board and it's become an industry. WF is pushing it. Green industry is going to be worth like 400 billion in the next few years. They're selling it like, guys, get on board. The scam is profitable. So the whole climate thing is one of the most sinister perversions of science and data ever. It, it gives COVID a run for its money. We've got these big, uh, not solar, uh, wind turbine farms uh, just outside of Cape Town if you drive up the coast. And either 50% of the time when we drive past them, they're standing dead still and they're ugly. Yeah. Well, I mean, the ugliness and the killing of birds, I think that that's true, but it's not my big thing. My big thing is the fraud. Uh, I had a mm. friend who was heavily involved in power engineering, and I mean big power plants, senior levels, and technical as well, not just managerial. And he says, he calls it brown energy. It's not green at all. Because of the way it's interconnected with the grid, and because of its lack of efficiencies and how they need to load the grid and keep it balanced, and because of a good few of the other things I mentioned a few minutes ago, he just said it. it's largely a sham. And um, that's from the inside. And he also said about the climate, he studied it at length. And this guy is a polymath. I mean, he's just a genius. He's read up on so much stuff, history and science, engineering. And he just looked into the data for a while and he came to the conclusion it's, it's, it's a farce. And he said engineers visit the plant. And he began to ask them, if the seas are going to rise, why do you think we're investing massive amounts of money on power generation at shoreline, right? Because we can use the cooling water, so it makes sense. But why do you think no one's worried? And insurance companies have zero concern with people insuring for the next 50 years relating to sea level rise. And he said, it's a funny thing. It's a bit like COVID. He said, they just look at me kind of in a funny way and they just kind of change the subject. They're so hypnotized by the green you know, propaganda, that when someone questions it, even even engineer to engineer, they they just don't want to talk about it. This, this is the problem. Ava Cummins, I'll be back with you momentarily. My name is Jim. This is TNT. De-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective. According to people, the Earth's temperature, and I say people because I don't really consider the people saying this actual scientists they may have degrees but since they're using temperature as a metric for climate they don't know what they're talking about 
But according to them, this has been the hottest year on record, 2023. Now that's interesting because the world population is going over 8 billion. In fact, they're close to 70 million new people on the planet than there were back in 2022. Or put it this way, there are 70 million more. Now, I can't figure out if things are so bad, how come the population continues to increase? I mean, aren't we at a hellhole right now? Now, I realize most of you don't have degrees in meteorology, and that's fine. What we were taught at Penn State, back when Penn State used to not be a climate indoctrination school, well, maybe they're not now that Michael Mann has left and gone to the University of Pennsylvania. But we were taught that temperature is a very poor metric for climate. Wet bulb temperatures are a much better metric because, after all, water vapor is very important, right? So if you know how much energy is in the air and you know that a lot better with a wet bulb temperature, then you get a better look at it. You see, it could be hotter, but if it's drier, there's no real change in the amount of energy in the air. Better than that, though, is saturation mixing ratios. Now, this really quantifies the water vapor. So let me ask you a question. If you want to track down the source of what warming is, would you use something that doesn't correlate at all to the temperature, CO2? Or would you use something that has a direct correlation to the temperature, which is water vapor? This is TNT Climate and Weather Watchdog, meteorologist Joe Bastardi, asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you've got. see it coming. It's pre-diabetes, and it captures one in three adults. But you can escape. Take the one-minute pre-diabetes risk test to know where you stand and prevent or delay type 2 diabetes. Be your own hero on smartphones everywhere at doihaveprediabetes.org. TNT. You're with Jeremy now on today's News Talk Radio. TNT. I, have a, I hate ads like that. Fighting type 2 diabetes is so easy. <laughs> Just change your diet. <laughs> yeah, it's it's nuts. There was a new paper just came out the other day, and the lies are astonishing. Basically, mm. it says that type 2 diabetes, which by definition is a disease of carbohydrate intolerance, sugar intolerance, that's by definition what it is. And if you take away carbohydrate and sugar, it overwhelmingly goes into remission. It's not cured yeah. because someone who's damaged their metabolism over decades and become full-blown, if they take away the carb and sugar, it massively improves their blood work and it puts them in remission. But in fairness, if they start eating it again, they have no tolerance anymore, most of them. But this paper came out the other day and the doctor's group I'm in are all sending it around, just literally almost giving up hope. And it basically came out and said that that's a myth, that actually you need to eat more carbohydrate to help with type 2 diabetes and animal fat is the problem. And like the audacity is astonishing, you know, because mm. it is as simple as you mentioned, you know, you won't get a full reversal, but but you'll get full remission, which is as good as it gets, right? Your bloods will be down below the threshold for type 2 diabetes. Uh, your cholesterol profiles will all improve massively, generally and your blood pressure will drop like a stone usually. And all your blood risk metrics will collapse down and completely transform your lifetime remaining risk for cardiac disease 
and Alzheimer's and many of the solid tumor cancers. So it's completely life-changing. Uh, but the industry is, is completely wedded to ultra-processed carbohydrate foods. And the pharmaceutical industry, unfortunately, are in bed with them because they make all the money off the antihypertensives on the back of the carbohydrate ultra-processed foods. <laughs> What's not to like? But it it does, yet again, seem so, so obvious to me, like a no-brainer. All you got to do is stop buying, as you point out, processed foods support your local farmer because that's already something that's fairly anti-globalist i mean that's that's a fairly localist yeah. uh position to have and it's a, and it's great because you know if you support your farmer you're supporting local and the food is just generally better and and support a local butcher and and stop going to the the major franchises for one and it, it's so easy to do and it, it it, you don't have to put in a lot of effort just to just to do that and already you're getting better nutrition yeah for sure and as dr eric westman a pal of mine said for many years okay i know you want grass-fed and i know you're uncomfortable with hormones that they use but to be honest i don't think that's too big a deal uh, but he said if you just go to a burger joint and just eat the beef patties and throw away the bone and you don't touch the fries or the Coke, and you just eat a bunch of beef patties, it may not be the best meat in the world, but you're going to put yourself a million miles ahead of your friends and family who are eating ultra-processed food just by doing that. And the supermarket, that's a, that's a good point. But even if you kind of are super busy and you need to go to a supermarket, you know, if you source mainly meat and veg, and you try and get locally supplied, or at least the country that you're in, it's a kind of a halfway stage, which is a lot easier, and also try and do farmers markets. And mm. and one other thing that kills me, it really does. People say, "Oh, it's too expensive to 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 live that lifestyle," and ordinary people can't do it. Well, organ meats are the ultimate superfoods, and they're practically free nowadays. I mean, liver and kidney and all these things, you get them from your local butcher for next to nothing because no one eats them anymore, which is a tragedy in of itself. And then eggs. Eggs are a true superfood and they're quite low cost in most countries for the massive nutrient power they give you. So you can be clever about these things. If you just eat ground beef, eggs and, and basic vegetables that are grown in your country of origin, you can have a relatively low cost lifestyle that's super duper uh, nutrient dense and is going to be massive in reducing your risk of disease. And also... Either if you want to go against the feminization of men, you do what I do. You go hunting. <laughs> oh, hey, I got to tell you something about South Africa. This is good. I I got a high powered hunting rifle. It's an air rifle, but it it's it's a proper one. Uh, yeah, well, you'll definitely kill an animal with that. Oh well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, it's it's fully licensed because it's yeah, it's a firearm mm. as such, but. I found these guys in South Africa with a YouTube channel and I don't know how they haven't been squeezed and squashed by YouTube because of humane and all this, but they <laughs> shoot with, yeah, there are a couple of South Africans. They go way out in the bush. They have loads of videos. They shoot monkeys, vermin. They shoot larger animals. They've got high powered 303s. They've got air rifles this is a big theme. And uh, yeah, I'll send you the link afterwards. They're really, really good stuff. <laughs> well, well, look, I don't like killing animals for the sake of killing animals. I think that's a bit rough. But no, no, I they eat, eat. They eat. 
Yeah, I eat what I shoot. Yes. And it's CrossFit. And, and yeah, and, and the same here in Ireland. Like, I've never done deer shooting, but since I was mm -hmm. 14, I mean, shotgun shooting in season, pheasant and pigeon. Pigeon are just vermin. You can shoot them over stubbles, uh, grain field stubbles with decoys. And they're really rich red meat, low fat for people who are worried about fat and high nutrients. <laughs> and what? they're also controlling vermin, which is required. Like, What caliber do you use for a pigeon? <laughs> Well, a pigeon, like the classic is the 12 gauge shotgun, you know, with a number of seven <laughs> cartridge. Is there anything left of it? <laughs> oh, well, well, you know, it has to be a proper distance. Obviously, if you put a pigeon on a post, like, say, 15 feet away and hit it, then the shots all together, yeah, they just <laughs> yeah. disappear. <laughs> It'll become a, a pigeon cloud. But, um, but no, at around 35, 40 yards at the proper distance, uh, the spread of the pellets is around 30 to 40 inches. And really, you'll just have uh, a, quite, a few pellets. That's quite close. Yeah, that's quite yeah, close. Yeah, yeah, a few. Hmm. But usually, they either end up in, in the gut and they go out when you, when you butcher the mm. animal, uh, or often they might pass straight through. But there's very seldom, uh, there's a pellet or two occasionally in the flesh. And even when you buy pheasants in Ireland and the butcher, they have a little warning, you know, there may be one or two lead pellets in the flesh, but, but it's okay. Um, Catherine has got a bone to pick with you uh, in the live chat. She says, yeah, don't uh, say that out loud about cheap organ meats. It'll blow up the price. <laughs> uh, yeah. But that's a good point. But to be honest, it's hard to get traction on organ meats. Um, I don't think everyone's running out right now. But you know, another quick one, Dr. Ron Rosedale, are you aware of him? No, no. No, no. Well, you, you probably wouldn't be actually, but he's, he's a friend of mine. And I interviewed him on April the 8th, 2020. And you say, whoa, that's just after lockdown. Well, it was. And he was in India because he's a spiritual kind of man. He's kind of a genius on insulin and, and metabolism. But he spent the last few years in India working for a real rich Indian, uh, helping with weight loss and diabetes in India, which is just a disaster zone. They call him the Eggman. Because he tells the vegetarians there, okay, you need to change your diet or your foot's going to get cut off. And you don't eat meat, but eggs, Do you? will you eat eggs? And generally they do. And he focuses them on eggs. And that's how he recovers them. But we talked about COVID and we just made the point and he said it and I agreed with him. He said the problem with COVID is hyperinsulinemia, which is a Western you know, epidemic. That's the real epidemic. And that destroys the immune system and the leptin response and all these things. And that's why COVID caused the problem that it did. And not much more than the flu, but it caused a problem. And he said, if tomorrow morning there were only meat, fish and eggs available magically, within a couple of weeks, I think I said within a couple of weeks, you could forget about COVID because there's already a bad flu impact approximately. And you could divide it by 10 at least if you only had meat, fish and eggs and the population got insulin sensitive and then you would have nothing squared. And he agreed, but he said, Ivor, I don't need to disagree with one thing. Your insulin and glucose wouldn't be dropping within weeks in a practical, useful way. Uh, they'd be dropping within days. And it was it, he was right. Within days, your robustness and resilience and blood work would be improving within days. Crazy. <laughs> 
you know, uh, we, we, we've been hopping on, on health and, um, and I don't mind. And in fact, I'm going to invite you back soon for full discussion on health because the last few years were actually primarily about health. Um, and, and that's one of the things that a lot of people I found just missed. They thought everything must be fixed with pharmaceuticals uh, while, while continuing to eat junk food and sleeping poorly and being stressed out and, um, you know, staying out staying indoors and avoiding the sun and all these things that you're supposed to do that are no brainers that, you know, that people have now forgotten about. If you just, if you just focus on, on your health and it's not complicated, you can pretty much forget about all pandemics in a sense. You can, you can pretty much forget about yeah. everything that's going on uh, in terms of the world health organization, right? Because if you're healthy, there's nothing that's going to take you down essentially that that's true uh, absolutely i mean i wouldn't think in the slightest about pandemics and even lab generated pathogens like sars-cov-2 almost certainly was but even if they did one that was five times worse and actually did cause pretty significant impacts to middle-aged people I still would not worry in the slightest if my vitamin D level was up at around 50 nanogram, which it is, and I was following what we are discussing there. My blood pressure is low, my insulin is low, my glucose is low. I, I, in the last 10 years since I switched my diet, like I described, I've effectively had no flus and colds worth a toss. And the prior 10 years when I was younger and should have been more resistant, if anything, uh, I would you know, have a few years where I had to pry off work for a day or two. Disappeared. Headaches disappeared. Everything effectively disappeared when I switched to a meat and veg regimen. It's just astonishing. So I, I'd agree with that. And, you know, the, the all of these threats, yeah, they're only because we have a population that is so metabolically destroyed and their immune system so dysregulated that even nonsense pathogens like SARS-CoV-2 can cause a significant ripple. You know, in the carnivore community all over the world and in the low-carb community, everyone was asking each other for years, did anyone get it worse than a, a cold? And no one did. No one. Mm. Uh, just quickly, as we're coming in for the last lap, I know that a number of people want to go look for, for books and uh, authors and videos and things on, on these sorts of topics. Who would you recommend in terms of low carb? Oh, I'm biased. Um, th this is actually honest, even though you'd say, yeah, right, you would say that. But I think Eat Rich, Live Long, our book, and it's on the various providers. I went back uh, a year ago on an interview that focused on it. And I said, I better check it now and see what extra stuff I'd put in. Um, it was so comprehensive and it had professional editors, uh, a wealthy Irish guy funded New York editors uh, to, because he wanted me to get the message out. I was very lucky. Uh, Eat Rich, Live Long had, covers everything. And it's the first section, uh, we did three sections plus appendices. The first section covers the simple story in five or six chapters of kind of what we touched upon in a very easy reading style. The second section then gets into detail and then there's around 60 recipes from a top chef. And then the third section gets into the heavier science, which we put in the back half because some people don't really want to go there. 
And then the appendices go in even deeper, and there's 350 references, scientific citations, which we included in the physical book on a point of principle. So I'd say I honestly think that's the best. But the other authors out there, I mean, William Davis, we mentioned earlier, Wheatbelly, that's been out for years. But Wheatbelly, the original, and Undoctored, his other book, I mean, they they are they are amazingly good too. There's no question. Noakes's books are superb. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, he's a good he's a good pal of mine over Gary the Tubbs. last many years. Gary Tobbs is great for the whole political and historical kind of uh, side of the house. And Nina Teicholz, I mean, the big fat surprise again. Okay, a good mm. pal of mine. So I would say that perhaps, but no, uh, great books that give you the whole context of the corruption we've been. Uh, or had foisted upon us, unfortunately. So, question here in the live chat: uh, ask, asking, uh, ask Ivor what to eat for breakfast. I said it earlier: eggs, 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 eggs. So there is. I challenge anyone to say if you get around five or six egg yolks, you can back off on the white if you want. It's a bit more carby, you know. And some people have slight, you know, reaction to egg white. But either way, you whip it up and you put in chopped peppers and you put in ham or lardons, you know, or whatever kind of meat and maybe mushrooms if you like that. Takes a couple of minutes, throw it in a pan, you make a delicious omelette, cover it in salt. It's unbelievable. I, it's hard to think of a nicer food. If I ever have breakfast, and I don't often, sometimes my wife decides to make one. She kind of does two meals a day, I do one. Uh, it's always an omelette with different stuff in it. I mean, that's the best possible breakfast. Mm-hmm. I had a four cheese omelette this morning. Oh, cheese. Of course, cheese. I forgot to mention. Mm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you also like me. You're a cheese fan. Uh, this person here says, where is it now? Uh, uh, Eat rich, live long is my Bible. Husband was diabetic, but isn't anymore. Great job, guys. Uh Cook the man, <laughs> I can't read. <laughs> Cook the man some effing eggs. I'm not going to swear. <laughs> effing cakes or eggs, eggs. Oh, eggs. Yes. Effing eggs. Well, yeah, I, <laughs> I try not to swear on air, but uh, you yes. should see me with a few pints. <laughs> Ivor, uh, we are running out of time very quickly. 30 seconds. Uh, where can I follow your work? Right, well, free speech platform X, it's at Fat Emperor, E-M-P-E-R-O-R. And YouTube, currently, amazingly, if you Google Ivor Cummins, you'll get hits to my Facebook and YouTube pretty quickly, Ivor Cummins Science on YouTube. So I think Twitter and YouTube are my main outlets where I give all the free stuff, talks, analyses, and whatever's going down, and, and interviews, etc. So, yeah, they're they're the main ones. I like that you say Twitter. I'm still part of that of that uh, that retro that retro crowd that's calling it Twitter, not X. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to change. Well, the main thing is that you're not. What was it called? Mastodon. Gotta go. Gotta go. Ivor, listen, Ivor Cummins. Thank you for joining me in the trenches. I'll catch you again soon. Uh, send me an email, Jim Warfare at TNTRadio.live. I'm out of here. My name is Jim. This is Jim Warfare, the Battle of Ideas. Mm-hmm.